Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us. Show us what you would want us to see from all of this. And as we look at the closing out of this book, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting at verse 18, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you rather to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again the dead uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want to stop there. So Paul has encouraged them, pray. Pray for us that we can be restored to you. His hope was to be restored. Now, we don't know where in his life it is. There was one time when he was restored to the church. He was released from house arrest. And he was restored for about a year, year and a half. And if this was that period of time, he's planning to go talk to the Roman, Roman Christians. If it's the other one, he was released by losing his head. So he did not get to go back out. And Paul was kind of an interesting character. He ended up in Rome by saying... I claim my Roman citizenship. I want to appeal to Caesar. And if you remember the story, Felix told him, well, you were a fool for you know, asking to go to Caesar because we were all set to release you because we found no crime against you. But now because you have appealed to Caesar, you now must go to appear before Caesar, which is what Paul wanted to do for all of his life. He wanted to go preach to Caesar. And the Caesar he's going to preach to is Nero. Nero hated Christians. He was blaming the burning down of Rome on Christians. And he was one of the greatest persecutions of Christians was during his time. And, you know, he was a really nice guy. He used uh, Christians and, and dipped them in tar and used them to light up the Colosseum. Uh, he beheaded them. He put them on, on crosses and crucified them. He was not a nice friend of Christians. And this is who Paul is going to see. And when he first appears before Caesar, Caesar says, well, I don't have time for you, and I'm not interested in listening about your God. And he puts him under house arrest. And he's stuck in a house. He can have guests. He can do everything. He just can't go out of the house. And he had soldiers assigned to him that he would have two soldiers with him at all times chained to him. I felt sorry for those soldiers. You know, they got to hear the gospel message for, for two to four hour shifts every time that they were chained to him. And many of them became Christians. <laughs> And then he got released, then got rearrested, and then was beheaded. Uh, and so we're not sure where, where in this story is, but he says, I am really hoping to get out and meet with you all again. Now, the, the Roman Christians, the Roman Christians were happy with him, but the Roman Hebrews weren't very happy with him. And this is who this whole book was written to, the ones that wanted to follow Jewish laws and restriction. He said, pray, I beseech you, uh, rather that I, to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. I'm looking forward to being able to minister to you. Paul, Paul had a very interesting way with him. He always wanted to go to the Jews first and be rejected. I don't know if he wanted to be rejected. He really wanted to reach his people, but he knew that they weren't listening. And he, but he always went to the Jews first 
preach to them. When they rejected the message, then he would go to the Gentiles and build a church around the Gentiles. But he always tried to reach out to the Jews first. And it's really hard, even in that day, to reach the Jew, a Jew for, for Christ. And it's even harder in many cases today because so much harm has been done to Jews in the name of Christ. The Catholic Church all through the Middle Ages was, would constantly be trying to kill them. You know, and, their, and their logic was that you guys put Jesus on the cross, so you are, you are guilty of killing Jesus, so we're going to kill you. And then out of that came replacement theology that the church, everything that all the promises of the Jews belong to the church. And that's a lie. <laughs> we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. Now, the Judaism has been placed on the shelf for a while. God is dealing with the Jewish people on the, on the wings. But right now, everything is focused on the Christian church. There's going to come the time of the rapture and then the tribulation period where the church is taken out and God goes back and says, all right, my people, you're, you're back in the center stage and everything is focused on them during the tribulation, the triumphs of Jacob and all the troubles that are going to happen to them for seven years. And halfway through the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist who has fooled them up to that point will stand up in the temple and say, I am God, worship me. And God says he will open the eyes of the Jewish people and they will recognize that they have been deceived. And then they will run for their lives to the wilderness and be protected by God for the balance of the two, three and a half years that Satan wants to destroy them. And at that point, Satan will come along. He'll bring all the religions together into one unified group under his authority, including, it'll, it'll seem like there's a lot of Christians left because there's a lot of churches out there that don't, preach Christ, that call themselves Christians, and they're going, well, we're here, we'll, we'll give up the Bible to, to make us all one, and, but they're not Christian. The true, the true Christians will be gone. And this is what's going to happen. Every church has people in it that are, that are not Christians, that, as the weed and the tares. There's always people that are not saved in every church. Some churches have more than others. Some churches will be lucky to have anybody that's, that's a Christian, because of the message going out. Some churches will have very few people that are not saved because of the message that's going out. But I am not foolish enough to believe that every single person that comes to our church is saved. And I'm not their judge, but I'm just, I look at the scripture and know that there are people in every church that aren't saved. And because that is what we're told, the wheat and the tares grow up together. And some people are just self-righteous and everybody thinks that they're good Christians. Which is why, you know, when I went to, you know, it's, it's an old joke, but, you know, there's going to be two things that surprise us when we get to heaven. The people that are there, because they were so awful and sinful that we can't believe that they got there, but by the grace of God, and the people that we expected to see there that aren't. Because they were there every Sunday. They were running the Sunday school classes. They were, they were the ushers. They were, you know, in all the committees and stuff. so sad is that the... Christians that we think are Christian and they know about God, but they're not truly saved. They're they're worse off than the people who don't have who have not really heard the message, clearly heard the message. Now there are churches where the the gospel message is not put out, but a church like the gospel message is given out over and over and over again. Anybody who doesn't who who was to die in their sins in this church, 
is really, really bad off because yeah. they, they, the message has been given to them over and over and over again. And they know the truth, it's not like. So, or, well, they've heard the truth. I'm not going to say they know the truth. But by the same token, you want to remember how many times did you have to hear the gospel message before you finally responded yourself? And this is the problem out there. We're going, well, these people have heard the message. Well, the ear has heard it. It's, it's pounded off their eardrum. The brain has registered it, but they have not understood or accepted it. So there, and it's amazing to me how many people will tell you, and the first time I heard the gospel message was that day that I responded. And it's like, well, what about all the other times that you, that you were at church or that so-and-so told you or that I told you? Doesn't matter. The first time they actually heard was the day they responded. They physically hear. Yeah. The words hit their brain. Yeah. But it doesn't sink in. But nothing is real. They are the hard ground that the seed hits the hard ground and Satan comes in immediately and it doesn't even begin to take root. And for some of them, it begins to take root and then everything comes in and, and strangles it out so that there's no fruit. And some are on the hard, rocky soil and it, it does get a little bit of spring up and then the first trial comes along and wipes them out. None of those groups are saved. All right? The one on the rock, we know that they're not saved. You know, they're, the other two, people like to think that they got saved and then lost it. No, they didn't get it's saved. It had to be getting into the good soil that actually produced. And this is why I make this distinction for us. It's not just saying, I believe I'm a sinner and I'm trusting in Jesus. It's actually saying, God, I know. <laughs> I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. And I know beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus is the only way to, to you. I accept that sacrifice. You know, and it's not just saying those words. It's really, truly believing. Because, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to hedge my bet. All right, Jesus, I'm praying to you over here. Then I'm going to go over here to the mosque, and I'm going to say my prayers to, to, to uh, Allah. And then I'm going to go over to the Buddhist um, monastery and say my prayers to, you know, to, to Buddha. And then I'm going to go over to the, to the uh, Indian god, which I can't remember off the top of my head, and go say my prayers to them. And then I'm going to go to the American Indians, and I'm going to you know, worship their, you know, their gods. No. <laughs> You can't hedge your bet and pray to every single God because then you're not saved. Only one God. You, you know, and this is why I've said many times, I have greater respect for the person who puts their whole heart in the false religion than those who play around with, with all kinds of different religions or trying to make their own. Right? Because they're saying, you know, and they're wrong, but they're going, all my whole heart is put into this belief system. And I have great respect because they're saying, I'm going to put my whole trust in faith. Now, it's sad because I know that they're wrong because I look at the lifestyle and I know the results of the lifestyle that those religions bring, as opposed to what God gives us, the peace that passes understanding, makes us a new creation and makes us alive and fulfilled. So I know that we have the right one. Because <laughs> I've, ta I've talked to many different religions and they're all just hoping that they are right and I know that I have the right one because of what he has done and I have had great peace I have no doubt that I've made the right choice because of what he's doing on this lifetime I know that I can trust him into the future and I would hate to be in these other ones where I'm struggling and hoping and maybe I did made the right choice and there's no change in my life and I'm hoping that I've done enough good what a sad way to live and then 
you're hoping that, you're, that you might make it into paradise for eternity, really sad, really sad place to be. So here we go, and it goes, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So he's laying out who it is we believe in. The God that resurrected Jesus. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. Of the resurrection that never died a second time. Because people go, well, Jesus wasn't the first one resurrected. You're right, Lazarus was resurrected, he had to die again. Jairus' daughter was resurrected, she had to die again. The widow's son was resurrected, he had to die again. The widow of Jeraphath's son was resurrected, he had to die again. Jesus is the first one, the first fruit of the resurrection that did not die a second time. We, because he is the, the resurrection, will die physically, but we will go right into the presence of God and live forever in his presence. So in theory, we never die. Our body dies, but our spirit just uh, and I hate to say it this way, but it's like the movies where you see the spirit just walk out of the body and go on. Now, we don't become a ghost like those ones go to do, but it is that. Our body falls apart. Our spirit goes off and goes into heaven to be with the Father or into hell, depending on <laughs> which, which, place, which place you're headed to. But this is the beauty of it. Unto the God who raised the Lord Jesus... That great shepherd. He is our shepherd. And he said, I am the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And this is something that we don't really understand in our day and age because most of us don't have sheep. But sheep do get to know the voice of their shepherd. And when they're called, they will respond to their shepherd. Now, most dogs are the same way. They will only respond, you know, a well-trained dog will only respond to the voice of their owner. And this is the way they train guard dogs. They, these guard dogs latch on to the one voice that they're supposed to listen to. And you could give the same command to that dog as the handler, and that dog's not going to stop. That dog's not you know, you know, going to listen to you because you are not the one. But sheep are like this. I had a friend, he had a bunch of sheep, and all he had to do was call them, and the sheep would come right to him. He'd call them, and, you know, come, and here they, here they would come. Uh, and he, those sheep are the ones where I really learned how dumb sheep are. Uh, he had just a little tiny hill in his, in his little uh, area where the sheep were. And every once in a while, one would get on the other side of this little tiny hill. It was only two or three feet, just high enough that the sheep could not see the, other, the, other, the rest of the flock. And they would panic. And they would be crying out and, and buying and, and, and buying and buying. And, and you know, I'd be at his house and go, excuse me, one moment. And he'd go call the sheep and the sheep would come, to his, come toward his voice and see the other sheep and go bouncing over to the other sheep. But you know, he's no more than five feet away on the other side of this little hill and in panic. But you know, it really does. How often do we do that same thing? We get just on the other side of the hill and don't see Jesus don't see the rest of Christians around us and then we panic and going, oh, woe was me, I'm in trouble. Why don't you just walk around the hill, walk over the hill, do something, 
and see the rest of, rest of the flock. You know, and we laugh about it, but you know, when God says we're like sheep, he's not being nice to us. All right? He is not being nice to us. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are the only animal that needs human protection to survive. They have no teeth. They can't run very fast. They can't, and they're not very smart. If they're, if they're hunted down by a pack of wolves, the entire flock will go if they're not protected by, by a shepherd or you know, a sheepdog or something to protect them. Because they can't run. They cannot run very fast. The little tiny short legs of a sheep do not run very fast. Probably. I don't know about that one, but uh, probably. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but they will, you know, and David said in Psalm 23 that he, he leads us by still water. I read a book about it, about it from a shepherd who said that if a leaf goes floating by them as they're drinking water, they will lean over toward the leaf and fall flat down into the water. And then their fur, and then their, their wool will get wet and they'll drown in the water because they just followed the, just kind of drifted over with the, I mean, they are not smart <laughs> animals. Just think of us in sin. The devil puts a nice little piece of sand in front of us. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> we do the same thing. So, I mean, God is right in saying that we are like sheep. You know, we see with our eyes something, I really want that. It's, it's shiny, it's... So, you know, so he says, Jesus is the great shepherd by the blood of the everlasting covenant. He died on the cross, shedding his blood, creating the new covenant that's everlasting. It's a covenant that is a unconditional covenant. Just like the covenant with Abraham, your people will, your descendants will be blessed. Those that bless them will be blessed. Those that curse them will be cursed. You will, they will number as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the, of the, of the land. No, if you guys do this, if you do this, this is an unconditional one for the Jewish people. Now, they have many conditional. Moses said, if you keep these rules, God will keep you in the land. And they didn't keep the rules. Most of theirs were conditional covenants. Once we accept him, it is unconditional. There's nothing else there. We are saved. Now, those who reject him, then they haven't entered into the covenant. Once we enter into the covenant, it's an unconditional covenant. So there, I guess you're, you're right. There, there is a condition I have to get into the covenant in the first place. And once I'm in that covenant, it's an everlasting covenant. No, nothing I can do will get me out of my salvation. Contrary to, there's a group of people say, well, you chose to get in, you can choose to get out. No, God chose me. All right. Now, it's hard to get in there. You know, how do I have a free will that I make the decision? And then God is the one that says he chose me. Don't even try to figure it out. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's one of those things that God knew and says, I called you. And once you've accepted it, we're in Jesus' hand, and he's not going to lose anybody giving it to him. And if that wasn't good enough for you, Jesus says, and I'm in the hand of the Father. So if there is some strange way that you could jump out of the hand of Jesus, all you're going to do is jump in God's hand. 
And his hand's a little bit big enough that he's not going to lose anything put into his hand. So, you know, this is the thing about it. We have eternal life when we accept Jesus Christ. And God is not an Indian giver saying, you've got eternal life until I tell you you don't have eternal life. And this is the thing I don't understand because the people who believe you can lose your salvation believe that, that you have eternal life. Unless you do enough sins to lose your eternal life. And I'm going, well, then do you have eternal life or not? Well, you know, you, you did, you, we could do some things. I go, no, no, no. You either have eternal, everlasting life or you do not. And I'm going to fall on the side that we have eternal life. If we've accepted Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Nothing I can do to get rid of it at that point. I made my decision to accept him. And now, it is possible that I just said the words and I never got eternal life. I'm a tear growing up and everybody, everybody looks at me and thinks that I'm, I'm a good Christian. You know, without having been that, I just said the right words and I've been doing the right things ever since but never meant them and never had him indwell on me, indwelling in me. And those are the people who struggle through their life trying to be a good Christian. I have never been struggling to be a good Christian. Why? Because God is living in me and he can fix me if I do something wrong. I repent and, and correct it. And over the years, I've watched him change who I am. And I don't struggle to say, well, what am, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to make too much fun of it, but these, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now, I understand that idea. I do. Because if he's living in me, he's going to tell me what to do. And if I'm having to think about what would Jesus do and during the middle of every situation, it's way too late in the first place. You know, I'm in the middle of a situation. Okay, what would Jesus <laughs> Now, I think he wanted me to move out of the way of the car. You know, it's like if you're playing football or something and you're, and you're the running back. You do not have time to think about where that hole is. You just hit the hole. And if you're standing back in the backfield, okay, what hole am I going to get? What hole am I going to get? You are going to get killed. <laughs> because the defense aren't standing around doing nothing. <laughs> and I understand what they're doing, and I do understand it. You know, what would Jesus do is a good, good thought process. And there is a good side to that. I mean, like I say, I understand it. And in one side, I do agree with it. But it's something that should be inside that it's so changed, that's so changed into you that you just do what Jesus would do. I don't think Jesus would be doing what I'm doing. And that's a different story. Well, we do everything without thinking about that. Even if we do, even if we are, we're, think, we're doing our things out of instinct. And the problem is that everything we do, if we're not doing it, if we're not centered in God and thinking about God, we're going to act after the flesh. That's our instinct. Our first instinct will always be the flesh. Now, how fast God's word comes on on top of it, God's thought comes in on top of it, depends on how close you are to him. Sometimes he comes real fast. There are times when he comes in real fast, and you don't even, you're not even aware that you ever thought the fleshly way at all because he's right there on top of it. We want to be very careful about that because it is easy to lose track of who he is, what he wants us to do. But the closer we are to him, the better off we're going to be as we go more like him and we act more like him and we start doing what Jesus would do without thinking because he is making us more like him. And that's something that's very important. And then he says, the whole purpose of this, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will 
working in that in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever so what is happening Jesus comes into me he is working into me and it says to make me perfect sound complete this whole purpose is to start sanctifying us and make us who he says we are he declares us when we become his child is perfect then he will spend the rest of our lives saying, now I'm going to make you as close to perfect as you can be in this lifetime. And he perfects all over every good work in us. And this is so beautiful. It, he says that he will, that every good work to do his will, working in you. And this is a present active one. It's in the present tense and Jesus is doing the action. He is the one that's perfecting us. We are not perfecting ourselves. And this is why it's important for us to understand it is a work of the Holy Spirit that changes us. If I am trying to change myself, I'm going to fail. Every time I'm going to fail if I am trying to, well, what, what, what am I supposed to do in this situation? I've got to say the right things. I've got to do the right things. And I'm struggling for all of this. I'm in trouble. But when I sit down in completion with him, it's like you look at your life and you go, wow, I made the right decision back then. I don't even remember making a decision. But it was the right decision. I got to serve God in that, in that event. And I've had times when that's happened. I've had times when I'm looking back and saying, wow, what a stupid thing I did. Now, I, like, I like it better when I go back and I look and say, wow, God, you really did. You know, look what we did. We, we made the right decision. You, 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 you were there. And it's more fun. It's more fun to look back and say, wow, you and I were so close that I did the right thing. Because when I'm making the decision, it's going to be wrong. That's just me. I know that. My, sin is, my, my heart is deceitful. My desires are deceitful. When it's me, I'm going to make the wrong decisions. And so he's saying, Christ is helping you to, making you complete to do his will. And this is the thing about it. I've said it over and over. The whole key to our Christianity is surrender. Surrender to God. And the more I'm surrendered, the more my flesh is put on the cross and being crucified, the more I become like Jesus because I have surrendered to him, and the easier my life gets to be because I have totally surrendered to him. He is enveloping me in all that I do, and the right words are said, the right actions are done because I am surrendered to him. Times I'm in trouble is when I try to do it my own way and I'm not surrendered to him. And here he's saying that it is his work, his good will to bring this to us and that we to bring us to what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That is the important part of that verse, through Jesus Christ. He is the one doing the work. He is the one perfecting the work. And in the great benefit to us, he is also going to be the one that we rewards us when we get to heaven for him doing the work. Yeah. And this is the thing. How many people always, you know, we see it in people all the time. They want to be rewarded and they want other people to do the work. That's God's plan. Surrender to him. Jesus does the work. And then he's going to reward us for letting him do the work through us. It's what, what we want 
if we apply it correctly. But I've seen it all through the business. People want other people to do the work and they want the glory. And it doesn't work. People get upset. People get irritated. But Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I just want to do it and I want to give you the rewards for it. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need any rewards. We're his reward. And he says, okay, I'm, you let me work through you? Great, here. Here's your, here's your rewards. Anything we do is going to burn up even if it is semi-good. Wood, hay, and stubble. A wooden, wooden table or wooden cabinet is pretty substantial. You can use it for a lot of good things. But if I do it, it may be something really good, really substantial, but it's going to burn up. Now, other people may get gold and silver out of it, but, you know, but I don't get the reward because it's something that I did. And Jesus says he wants to be through him. Why? To whom be the glory forever and ever. Everything that we do that's going to last will bring glory to Jesus. If it brings glory to me, it's wood, hay, and stubble. If it brings glory to God, it is of great value. And we need to always keep in mind that my, everything I do is to bring glory to God or is not worth anything. And this is forever and ever. And he says, amen. And if you're not aware of it, amen means so be it. So when we're saying at the end of your prayer, amen, you're saying so be it or let it be so. So that you're saying, God, what it, these things that I've said, let it be so. So make sure your prayers are what God wants. Uh, then he goes on to say, and I beseech you, brethren, Suffer the work of exhortation, for I have written a letter to you, unto you in few words. Know you that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, which whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be to you all. Amen. Written in the, to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. So here he's concluding it finally. He says, I beseech you, I beg you. Beseech is a very strong word. I am begging you to listen. Suffer the word of exhortation. Endure the word of exhortation. This is something that is very hard. Many of us do not like exhortation. We're going, uh, I don't like to be told that I was wrong and that I need to correct something. And the world will often tell you, and even carnal Christians will go, you're judging me. <laughs> well, no, the exhortation is God speaking and saying, this is an area of your life that needs to change. And believe me, I've heard plenty of those. I listen to the radio a lot, and I listen to these speakers, and every once in a while, they'll all be speaking at me on what God is trying to teach me. And that is endure the word of exhortation. God is saying, Pay attention, learn, change your life. If we do not endure the words of exhortation, God will break out the woodshed and start really taking care of it. He always wants to start out with just simple. Here is my word. Will you respond to what I am saying? If we don't, then he will take us behind the woodshed and bring out the proper size switch or whip or whatever it takes to get our attention. For me, in the old days, it was a two-by-four uh, that he needed to use on me because I was that stubborn. He needed to really get my attention. And 
And there were times when I got really beat down. Because I was headstrong, I was a manager, I was a type A personality, I knew how to do things, and I was going to get it happening. And God says, no, he'd give me an exhortation, I would not pay attention, he'd knock me down. You know, knock me down really good. And saying, are you ready to listen now? And unfortunately, my answer was generally in those old days, no, I'm not ready to listen yet, and he'd knock me down again. So, what does it take for us to finally listen to God? As we grow in him, it should get better to just a word. Okay, God, I heard you. Let's, let's work on getting this fixed. I'm getting better about listening to the words of exhortation. There have been times when I've been talking to God and he says something to me. Okay, okay, God, wh- wh- how are we going to make this happen? <laughs> I, I heard you loud and clear. How are we going to make this happen? Just start, start speaking to me and operate on what he said to do. And he's saying, the word of exhortation. And he says, in Paul, and here he says, For I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Now, this book was 13 chapters. It's one of the larger books that Paul wrote. But he's telling them, I have just written a few words. Compared to what I really want to say to you, I have just given you a few words. And there's been times when I've given a message and I'm going, okay, this is just a few words. You know, knowing that there was so much more that could have been said. And maybe even more that should have been said, but the time wasn't right. And here Paul is saying, I had so much more to write to you. I, just, I have just written a few words to you. And there's many places in here where we look and he says, and over and over again he says, and I could have gone on. I could have gone on. I could have gone on. He wants to give them examples of what God does and how he's done it. And he says, but this isn't the time. It's not the place. He goes, you know the stories. I'm giving you the beginnings of them. This is where we're at. And then he says, verse 23, know that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Timothy had been released from house arrest. And he says, if Timothy comes... He's at liberty. He's been given freedom. If he comes to you, I plan to be there shortly. And we don't know if Timothy ever came to them. We don't know if Paul ever came to them from this letter. And then it says, salute them that have rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. So it seems that this communication is to the Hebrews in Rome, but also to be expanded to the the people of Israel in Jerusalem. Paul's whole desire was to preach to, to, to Nero and get back to, to Jerusalem. That's what he wanted to do. He loved his people. You know, Paul loved his people very much like G- that Moses did and others did. At one point he said, if it were possible that I, that I could go to hell and all my people would go to heaven, I'd do it. Now, I don't have that much love for anybody. I will be honest with you, I don't have that much love to say, God, if you could save all those other people, I'd go to hell. Uh, you know, and Paul might have known that it wouldn't have happened, but you know, that was his love, that was his heart. God, if you could be sure that all of my fellow Jews will go to heaven, I will suffer eternity for, eternally for them. That's a lot of love. And I think he meant it. I don't think he was just speaking in a you know, hyperbole. I think he really meant, God, I am willing I am willing, if if you would save all of them, I would be willing to go to hell for eternity. 
That's a pretty big distinction. Jesus took on the sins of the world. He became, he became sin. He became, he did die. So, and yes, he did do it. And that's why when Paul said that, he, he, could, not, he could not have done what Jesus had already done uh, and probably knew that he couldn't, but his, his heart was being expressed. If I could, I would be willing to do it. Grace be with you all. Amen. I love this ending. Grace be with you all. All the blessings of God be with you. And this is something that's really been on my heart lately is do we fully understand grace? We sing about grace. We talk about grace. But do we completely understand grace is getting everything that God wants to give us that we don't deserve? Everything. We take it for granted all the time. Well, I've shared with you the acronym that people use, God's riches at Christ's expense, you know, which is an acronym for it. And that's only this, the barely bare part of it, but it isn't accurate. We get everything that God wants to give us because of what Jesus did. And we get blessed because of what he did. And we get to do nothing to deserve it. We do nothing to earn it. Nothing to deserve it, because if we did, it wouldn't be grace. And all he asks us to do is extend grace, especially to the other members of the church, but also to extend grace to the lost world. Give them things that they do not deserve. What did Jesus tell them? Be kind to those who despitefully use you. That is not the world's way of thinking. You know, the world says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. No problem. And if I'm really nice, I may not give it back to you, but I really want to. But grace says, give them back goodness for what they've done. Jesus said, if they are compelled to go a mile, you know, the soldier compels you to go a mile, go too. Give them something that makes them look at you and go, are you crazy? This is not what I expected. And this is the way we as Christians are supposed to react to people. People are going to look at us and say, I really was waiting for you to get back at me and you didn't get back at me. You went above and beyond the extra mile and I just don't understand you, you Christians, you're crazy. Yes, we are crazy by their standards because we don't live by the standards of this world. And this is what grace is all about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton, when he wrote that, understood that he did not deserve grace. If you don't know his story, he was a slave trader. He was mean. He was a, he was a drunk. He was one of the worst men that you wanted to be, you know, be around unless you were on his side. You know, but he was mean, nasty, you know, impious. And God got hold of him. And she gave him grace and he understood grace. We need to fully understand grace and then start giving it, number one, to ourselves. We have to apply that grace to ourselves. God, you have given me grace. I accept it. And then take that grace and pour it out on others. And we all have met people that are just so gracious. They don't, you know, and you're looking at them and going, all right, you know, I did not deserve for them to be nice to me. 
And I don't think they're trying to manipulate me. They actually are being nice to me. Because it's one thing when people are manipulating you. They're just being nice so they can get something out of you later. And you know, they're, they're running up the scorecard and they're going to come back to you. Now, I've been nice to you five times. You owe me <laughs> this. That's not what grace from God is all about. And a lot of times people are waiting for that. When is that shoe? I, I would be nice, but I'm going to keep score. This person doesn't seem to be keeping score. They're not waiting to, they don't seem to be waiting to, to drop the hammer on me to, to make me pay for what they're doing nice to me. And this is the way our grace is to be with others. I'm just giving you God's love and mercy and grace and let them deal with it. And you know what? That will, that will drive people crazy at times. When we give them grace, when they know they don't deserve grace, they know they deserve to be beat up, attacked, you know, convicted, <laughs> and we give them grace, it's hard for them to understand. Because they'll look at it and say, these people are weird. These Christians don't understand them at all. They do all these nice things that they don't expect people to pay back. And this is where it's so beautiful. The grace of God being lived out and poured out on others so that they will be able to see God's love. Because sometimes the only love of God they're going to see is what we show them. Now we are very poor examples of God's love. But a lot of times that's the only love and grace people are going to see. So we need to be really conscious of, am I pouring out graciousness and love to these people like God would? And let them respond to the love of God. Because this is all that's out there in the long run. His love. His grace. That stands out so different. Satan's lie in the garden was, if you eat this fruit, you'll know the, the, the good and evil and you will be like God. And ever since that time, man has been trying to be like God. And we really do need to understand our place in his kingdom. We are his servants. If we're his children, we are his servants. And we are to do what he has asked until he takes us home. And once we're home, then we get all the blessings of being home. Until then, we are to do the work that he has asked us to do. And you know, one of the things I have found when I do the work that he's asked me to do, with the right attitude going on and serving him, it is so pleasing and pleasant to do his work. Behold how good and pleasant it is for, for brethren to dwell in unity. And then the last part of that song goes, for there the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. We as Christians should be in unity with Jesus and with each other. And the world looks at this and says, we don't understand these people at all. They don't act, they don't say, they don't do the things that we would do. And even though we're imperfect examples of God, we still kind of drive them crazy. Because we don't respond the way they expect us to respond. We don't go after them when we're following God. Now the sad part is there are a lot of Christians that don't follow that example. And I'm, I'm going to be generous. Many of them are Christians. They just aren't tied in with God. They're not showing grace. They're not, and they're acting the way of the world. Hopefully they've been, they'll get convicted. Maybe, maybe not. But for us, we need to be showing grace, living according to grace. 
Lord, I ask you to bless this time with us. Lord, teach us to be able to walk in the covenant of grace. Help us to learn to trust you more and more in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.